Welcome to another episode of The Grass is Greener. Today my guest is Richard Powells. And Rich is, and Kismet, Rich is a founder of Rich's Nuts. And he's got quite this story. He uh, was a firefighter in California in long shifts hauling heavy equipment up hills. Would leave him beat, so he needed energy. And he discovered the, the power of sprouting nuts. And he sprouted cashews, dehydrated them for crunch, added herbs from his garden, and shared this creation with the crew. When he could barely keep up with the demand in the firehouse, he knew the perfect snack was born. So Rich, these nuts are easy to digest. They're crunchy, organic, and super delicious. And he, uh, he now is really growing this company in a cool way. So when we did this interview, it was right after his dad had passed. Um, and we each had a recording device, and my recording has gone missing. So the, the interview still works really well. You'll still hear me, and you'll still hear him him especially well, which is good because it's more about what he has to say. But so um, really open your heart. There's a lot to this conversation. Um, if you're willing to listen and be open, there's some... There's some uh, the nuts are the tiniest bit. I just want to share just a little bit about him. Um, and this company, but Rich has been my friend for 15 years, and he's introduced me to so many cool things, including Wim Hof. We actually brought Wim to Los Angeles and used my bathtub and did my first breath work with Wim and ice bath with uh, with uh, Rich and a, and a really core group. And he's always been the one that would take us on adventures, so canoeing, Burning Man, I mean, you name it, camping. He wanted to take me elk hunting and to crazy always getting us out uh, into nature and into um, community and Rich is a connector and just a really special friend of mine but I wanted to just share a little bit about his nut company at the beginning here and then you'll hear throughout the conversation just his beginning which is a very very humble wild beginning so um, I love this guy he's been a big influence in my life and he has um brought many gifts my way and my hope and my prayers that this podcast is a little bit of a gift towards you um, as well so we're walking Austin was just a few months old strapped to my stomach and you can hear him chirping as we're by the waves and I wanted to do it while we walk because for me uh, quite often I find that uh, when my body's still my mind is busy and when my body's busy my mind is still so I think maybe I'm a better listener when I'm walking and, and for men walking side by side or dads with boys it's really important it's much more it's less intense and less of a challenge if you go shoulder to shoulder shoulder to shoulder so dads if you're listening and, and you have a conversation with your kids just sit down and go for a drive or go for a hike or uh, you don't need to grab them and say look me in the eyes because that doesn't necessarily work from men to men so walking side by side another guy is a great way to open and to communicate um shoulder to shoulder in that way so please enjoy this please subscribe share and all that fun stuff and enjoy meeting rich powell's ah my beloved brother and we'll see you on the other side the grass is green because my good buddy rich Rich Nuts, Richard Powell's is visiting from Puerto Rico. And we're going for a little walk. We were gonna get up super early this morning and do it on the roof and do a little sun gazing, but 
uh, just didn't quite work out with the overcast and a few other things. Now I have Austin strapped to my chest and we're just going to do a little beach walk and I just wanted to check in with Rich about a few things. So Rich is an entrepreneur uh, and a really special human in my life. We, we met, what would you say, 15 years ago? No, 12 years ago? Through some mutual friends and Rich is responsible for many, many, many adventures, uh, bringing us out of our comfort zone into canoe trips and Burning Man and and whitewater uh, rafting, whitewater rafting, and taking my son uh, bow and arrow shooting and inviting me many times to go uh, f- freeze my butt off in a tent while hunting an elk. <laughs> And Rich, that's still on the table. It's still on the table. I know. And Rich, this is what kind of friend Rich is. He's like, I'm going to go do Wim Hof's retreat for my birthday. Do you want to come? And everything in me just goes, uh, <laughs> I know what kind of agony that is. Uh, but so Rich, uh, Rich Powell's is um, one of my dear, dear friends. And he's visiting L.A. And I wanted to take this moment to talk about a few things with Rich. Um, Rich's uh, father has just transitioned and Rich came back to be with his family and to, we had a mini ceremony at our house last night for his dad. And I also lost my father, uh, not lost, I know where he is. I I also had the uh, privilege of of spending 43 years with my dad on this planet. So I just wanted to check in with Rich on this walk along the beach about a few things. Uh, Rich also has some really cool practices that we've kind of introduced each other to. And Rich has a nut company that's really special and doing really cool things. Rich is into regenerative farming and iguanas. And (laughs) he brought an iguana here to my fridge as a gift because uh, they have a massive population overgrowth in, in Puerto Rico. But let's, I'd, what I'd love to start with, Rich, is uh, your very, very beginning. I mean, where you were born. My very, very beginning. <laughs> because this story, uh, you know, I love to start at the beginning with people, but just a little bit about your parents. And you can share as much or as little as you want about that. And then we'll just kind of take it from there. And, but before we start, I'm just really grateful for our friendship and for all you've taught me and just the gift. I'm so honored to be able to support you and have you in our home during this little week of you being in LA and dealing with stuff with your family. And um, it's a privilege to to be your friend, pal. Thank you so much, Paul. And I would definitely say that the feeling is very much mutual. Um, I've learned so much from you and come so far and your influence in my life is incredible and so highly beneficial. So I would say that feeling of learning and sharing is very mutual. And I really love that. Um, there's a few of us uh, that are so close and so tight that it feels like whenever we're together, we create like a sacred space and we start to, we start to treat each other and the planet and all those around us with that energy that everywhere is sacred space. I think it's really empowering for us. And what I would say about my humble beginnings. Um, yeah, because we were gathered around last night with uh, a really small group. 
and when you began to share how you where you were born, I had forgotten. And so it's such a, it's such. If you're willing to share that, I would love, I'd love you to share that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I was born in prison. Uh, my parents were heroin addicts, and so I was born in jail, um, 1973, at the Chino Correction Facility for Women. Basically, uh, how that started was my. My parents, to support their heroin habit, they started to sell heroin so they could pay for their own, their own deal. And um, basically, they got, they got busted. And they, they said the only reason I even exist is because they got busted. Yeah, so they were released on bail. That was the only time they really cleaned up because they had gotten you know, thrown in jail. And so during that period when they were going through the court case, they were out of jail, they were on bail. They had three months of like, you know, clean time. And that's when I was conceived. And then they subsequently got convicted of their crimes and they went to jail. So I ended up being born in the Carino, Chino Correctional Facility for Women in California. And then from there, you were raised by your grandma a little bit, right? And some other aunts and family. And... That's right, yeah. So my, uh, I spent about three months uh, with my mother before they uh, took me out of the prison and uh, released me to my grandmother's sister who was actually a foster, already approved foster agent. So um, basically my grandma took, took over at three months and I spent a lot of time with her until my birth mother was released. So yeah, it was. Uh, I don't obviously remember it, but right, right, right. that was my my birth. Now, have have you thought much about how that experience has affected you? You know, you're in your forties, and you've been a fireman for a big chunk of your life, and you're you're a, a cheerleader in college. I love. I always forget that too. Yeah. But have you thought, like you shared with us last night, some of your early memories with your dad uh, fishing? But have you ever thought of the impact of being born into captivity and you're such a free, wild soul, like Rich always takes us on every adventure uh, that you could imagine, is, is calling us out to nature. So where, how do you go from being born technically in a cage to being this guy who's always bare, always barefoot, always sun gazing, for sunrise and sunset how does that happen like have you ever thought of that effect like what yeah i've often thought about that and contemplating it it's really difficult to to articulate because I mean, it's really hard to figure out what happened at such an early stage in development right there's like there's a lot of different um ideas around that and i have explored it some and i think Part of the reason why I am so into nature is as like an opposition to being born in a cage, you know, like it's about freedom. And, and I really feel like this journey for me, this whole path, like has been a, you know, get out of your cage. We all build our own mental constructs that keep us restrained, that limit us, that tell us who we are. And they're based on our familial patterning. They're based on society. They're based on stuff we learned in school from other kids that don't know what's going on. So like we put all these patterns on ourselves, and then they shape and inform who we are as we move into our future. So like, how do we break free from that? How do we get out of that cage? So I think uh, someday I'm, I want to write a book about that. Like get out of your cage. Right. I think you'd be a perfect guy to, 
to write that book. It's like you have this, you have this, this, this spirit of adventure and curiosity. And I think you were sharing last night that your dad had a similar curiosity. Yeah. And like you and your dad didn't have always the best relationship, right? Like there was there was times when when it was a little bit up and down with your dad. Yeah. Yeah. One, you know, the thing with my father was he was kind of a difficult man. I mean, he was very smart and he was super challenging. His communication skills and his emotional intelligence were not high. His intellect was high, but he was just, um, you know, he had a lot of trauma in his childhood. He had a very rough life. And uh, I think that affected who he became. But um, the one thing that he always told me, and the one thing I always know is that he loved me. So I, I had that unconditional father's love. So that was foundational to who I am now. Without that, without that knowing, like on a deep level that he, he's got you no matter what, I think things would have been different. But... Um, and, you, and you said he never made you necessarily feel like a little kid, huh? No, he never treated me like a kid. He always treated me like a young man and he would be, you know, we'd go camping or something. It's freezing cold. I'm five years old and, he, you know, we're waking up before the sun is up. It's pitch black and it's freezing cold. And he's like, put your boots on. And I'm like, they're freezing. I don't want to get out of my pillow. And he'd be like, come on, do it. Let's go. No one's going to do it for you. And he would just gently nudge me and push me. And there was no, no whining, no excuses, no no victim mentality you know it's like if you want something do it you can do anything you want believe in yourself and he always ingrained that in me from a very young age yeah for sure and so how was it going from being raised by your grandmother into like how was your early school like do you remember like what part how was it going to middle school and elementary school and high school was it difficult for you were you a good student because like i know you got into sports yeah. In high school, but like, how was it? Because you were technically raised in the foster system, or did your your dad took you back? He got out. He got out, and he took me back. And he always was fond of saying that he that I saved him because he cleaned up his act. He kicked heroin. He got a job. He became a plumber, and you know he he worked for LA County Plumbing, and he cleaned up his act. But um, let's see. What was I going to say there? Well, with school, like from... Oh, school, yes. This is it. So with school, it was great. Uh, what happened with school, I, got, I was super smart. And um, I knew how to read and write when I got into kindergarten. And so when I got into kindergarten... Wait, why? Uh, because my dad used to buy me all these little like books. They were kind of like learn how to do math and learn how to, to uh, write and such and read. And they're like kind of like coloring books, you know, for like kindergartners. It was really funny. He used to give me all those books and I figured it out. And by the time I got into kindergarten, I could already read and write and like do simple math. So they immediately moved me up to the first grade. And when I got into the first grade, I was bullied every day. Like the kids used to make fun of me because they would, they would sing this song to me, which was, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but it was a kid's song. They'd say, kindergarten baby born in the Navy. And I would get so upset and mad because they were teasing me and laughing at me. But you weren't born in the baby. I know. <laughs> and you were a great, you were the kindergarten baby. You were a great runner. Like, you were actually older than them. Well, no, they moved me up. Oh, so the great wonders were making fun of me. Yeah, when I got to grade one. Oh. And so I would get in a fight like every week because I would just lash out. Yeah, I would lash out with my, with my, my fists. Okay. And um, 
So I would just, you know, punch the bully in the mouth. And so I was fighting the whole time. And then they decided to hold me back because I had quote unquote social problems, you know, because I was getting bullied and I wasn't, I didn't take the bullying. So, uh, yeah, so what I learned from that at that very young tender age was to dim my light, to hide my intelligence. So from that point forward, I didn't really uh, put a lot of effort into academics. I didn't do my homework, but I would always ace all the tests. So I would get like decent grades, enough so that I could play sports. I wrestled and played football in high school, but I never put any effort into any homework because I was like, this, is, this, this intelligence just gets me bullied and I have negative repercussions. So it took me a long time to unlearn that for sure. Wow, that would be a big thing to overcome. Your intelligence gets you in trouble. Yeah. So let's dumb it down a little bit. Hi, well, so I was hiding. I've been hiding yeah. my whole life. Mm. You know? So how do you go from, you said you played football, but how do you go from playing football to being the cheer, because you got into cheer at a certain point too, right? How did that happen? Yeah, that was crazy. So, yeah, I played football and I wrestled in high school. And then um, I went to junior college for a couple years where I wrestled. And then I transferred to UCLA. And I was working out in the gym, and I was I was pretty physically fit back then, maybe 30, 40 pounds You're heavier. Yeah, no, I'm fit now, but then I was really bulky and heavy, maybe like 215 pounds or something like that. And I was working out in the gym, and these cute cheerleader girls came over and recruited my friend Dan and I to go uh, try cheerleading. And we're like, basically, I mean, I was like 20, and these cute girls like, hey, you want to come? throw us up in the air we're like sure let's try it yeah and it, it turned out to be so great because i went to ucla and it was so hard to get classes there and i got priority registration i got to travel with the team we got to work out in the athletes gym so it was really amazing and it was a great experience learning how to communicate with the feminine especially in athletic competition because it always been with men on the football team you'd be like dude you missed your block and you could just talk all like men talk to each other especially when they're I never thought of being a, a, a male cheerleader as beginning to understand like, the dance of masculine feminine and, and you're holding a... The trust factor. You're, you're holding, literally holding their life in your hands. Yeah. yeah. And you're holding that container for them then to be more feminine. That's so cool. It's part of the reason I think where women started to feel really safe around me. Yeah. They understand that I'm in integrity and I'm there to protect them and that's exactly what was happening with cheerleading. Like literally their life were in my hand, you know. And then how do you get from cheerleading to firefighting? Because firefighting was a huge chapter of your life. Like, and feel free to fill in if I'm jumping too quick from chapters here. Because there's a lot of details within these, but yeah. for the sake of time, and we're going to possibly try to get back to the Johan breath class. Yeah. Uh, and this little guy, to lay him down, he's a sleeper. Yeah. Uh, well, so interesting. You did forget one thing. So I did, interestingly enough, become a kindergarten baby that went into the Navy. So I joined the Navy Reserve to pay my way through college. Because again, I- You were I, in the Navy Reserves. I was in the Navy Reserves. Oh, and so the, those grade oneers were bullying you actually helped you out. Yeah, eventually I became, yeah, I was a fireman in the Navy. Um, and I was already thinking about possibly becoming a firefighter uh, in college. I took a bunch of fire science courses at the junior college. And then, you know, I, I I became I became a firefighter in 1998, and um, that was a huge chapter. You're right in my life. What I what I really uh, liked about the fire department was, for me, the physical part was not that hard, and I think it is really difficult for some people. 
And I think this set me up really well, the way that I was like born in jail. And I felt like I had a level of emotional detachment because I didn't really have like a solid mother figure. So, so that you, made me a great firefighter. You didn't grow up with your mom at all? I didn't, I never really knew my mom, no. Um, she kept dabbling with heroin and basically uh, was no longer in my life because she couldn't really kick her habit. And, um, and then, then that was a whole healing process around that too. It was like, I didn't realize this, but there was a, a layer of anger in me that was like resentful that, you know, my mother couldn't give up uh, her habit for the love of her son. My father was able to do it, but my mother wasn't. And so I had to deal with that anger and frustration and resentment that I needed to allow to process me. Up until I was in my mid-20s, I didn't even think it had affected me in any way, but how could it not, right? It's the most profound relationship. Um, But I think that level of detachment really helped me be a great firefighter because one of the things that happens in the fire department is you're in life and death situations all the time. If you get emotionally um, involved or engaged, then you start to, you're not showing up at your best. You're not doing your best job. You're like, become part of the problem and I was really good at keeping that separation between oh wow this is you know my baby dying literally I've had people handing me their baby that's dying and you know we're resuscitating him and bringing him back to life and stuff and so to hold your you know your your exact perfect like level of tranquility where you're getting things done you're super focused and you're not letting the stress like overwhelm you like that skill I think comes from that level of detachment from you know being born in jail and not really having a mother interesting i love that you're turning the, your adversity into your power like some a very many people could take a past experience like that and have excuses their whole lives to to perform in a different way yeah that maybe wouldn't be of service and that so interesting there's so many people that it's like the victim mindset right yeah yeah i mean it's someone else's fault why do you think you were able to turn your story which many many people would use as an excuse and be a victim and they could tell that story their whole lives what's the secret sauce in your life that allowed you to have it turn you into this high performance kind of machine of a human (laughs) being who is fireman went in the navy and now has this really abundant, amazing company and a very beautiful relationship to your wife, Samantha. So what is it? What is that? If Have you thought of this? Like, why were you able to turn your pain into your power rather than have it turn you into a disaster pants? <laughs> yeah, I have thought about it quite a bit. What do you think it is? And I've done a lot of work to, to get to where I am, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a combination of things, but the most important thing is the mindset. Like, things come at you that are going to be stressful and challenging. And what do you do with that? that? That's where you have the opportunity to choose what you want to do with it. So, for me, I never saw myself as a victim. I don't feel like I had a bad childhood or a difficult childhood. I mean, I had a lot of love from right, a lot of people. Fishing. Your dad took you guys fishing. And My dad was- would take us fishing. I, would, I had lots of lo- feminine love from... Uh, my grandmother and her sister and cousins and the cheerleaders cheerleaders. but really what was the most um, I think crucial part was really my mindset that I'm not a victim and that I can do anything and having that 
confidence and belief in myself, which I think I got from my father, just like constantly not babying me, not allowing me to whine or to to back out of stuff like, okay, you want to play baseball? We're going to play baseball for a season. I didn't really like it. I wanted to quit. He's like, well, you have to play through the whole season and then we'll try a different sport. And so then we tried football the next year and I loved football and I hated baseball. So I played football. So it's like, he, he didn't ever let me back out of my commitments. He made me, even as a five-year-old, he held me to a standard, to an accountability standard. And that was a really beautiful thing before he passed. You know, he had a long time illness. So I had a lot of time with him at the end where I would have these really deep conversations. And we had this moment where, you know, it's always, do you feel like you, you meet up to your father's expectations? And the conversation I had with him, he said that I exceeded them by like 20 times. So it felt really good to hear that. And he was really proud of me, you know, because I had gone so far and done so much compared to where he, you know, yeah. envisioned for me. So that was really powerful and super healing for both of us. Mm-hmm. But then like along the way, so your dad, you know, even though it, it was a rough start, you still never doubted his love. I never doubted his love, no. And and sounds like your dad never, so that was, he was a big part of the secret sauce of what's made you, you know, who you are. And here we are celebrating. Right his, to exist, right? That fundamental right yeah. to exist. And, and to go for your dreams and to do what you want and travel the world and become a fireman and do all these incredible things that like he never would have expected for me. Right. And, and I think that, that right to exist and following my own curiosity, he always told me to just like follow my interests. Like don't do things that bore you, what's the point? Like right. follow your interests. And yeah. if you don't like this sport, let's try a different one. Right. But give it a good solid try and then move to the next thing. Talk to me about the fireman transition then from Navy Reserves and and college, uh, UCLA, to get then to like what, I know you said you took some courses in college, but then you were were here in like Malibu and Topanga and Los Angeles, which is a pretty, like that PCH can be a pretty gnarly, that must have been quite a baptism of fire of experiences yeah the whole the fire experience was great for me it it continued to build on that confidence um it provided so many opportunities for me to to learn to grow to expand myself and so in 1998 i I went into the fire academy um i became a firefighter for los angeles county fire department i worked there for 20 years i did uh, um the busiest craziest most intense time was when i worked in inglewood at fire station 173 and we would have lots of shootings and be up all night and fight a lot of fires. And it was, it was hardcore and it was awesome. And I loved it. And it came very naturally to me because I'm always there to help people. And now I just have a team with me and I have a lot of training and I have all the right equipment. So it was really, really great and powerful for me. Um, What's the wildest thing that you experienced as a firefighter in Los Angeles? Uh, well, you know, people always go, what's the scariest situation you're in? You know, and I would say the craziest one for me personally, I was in a fire in Inglewood and um, it was an abandoned home. So there was like uh, plywood on the windows and the door and the thing was just ripping fire. And it was a, you know, header a half a mile high. It was huge. And so we, I was on the nozzle. And so we, we went in and, um, tore the plywood off and it was super smoky and the the heat was like really down on the floor so 
I crawled in with my buddy, Carlos, and it was so hot. He's like, pencil the ceiling, which is a technique we would use to cool off the fire and take a lot of the heat out of it, where we make a figure of eight with a hose line on the roof. It works great when the place is ventilated because then when the water converts to steam, it uh, expands like 1,700 times. And so instead of pushing all this heat out, it pushed it right down on us. So we just basically steamed ourselves and it got like 500 degrees hotter in like, I don't know, 30 seconds. So he's like, do it again, do it again. He panicked and I hit it again and it got worse. He's like, let's get out of here. So we backed out and, you know, the place was a, a total loss, but... I thought it burned my ears when I came out. My mask was crystallized, which means that uh, was I hit like 580 degrees. I think was the number. If it goes more than that, I think at like 600, the mask melts and then you basically die because the smoke comes in, the heat and everything. So it was like a 20 degree difference between life and death. So that was pretty intense. I would say that was my most uh, scary, intense moment with the fire department. Yeah. And you had some savings and babies and some early stroke. You were able to call someone. They're like, I think you're having a stroke, and you were right on a couple of those, right? Yeah, as a yeah, as a paramedic, um, actually, I kept track of the people that I brought back from clinically dead, and it was seven. So seven, seven people that were dead that I brought back to life. Now they they I don't know how long they all lived afterward. You know, some of them might have passed very quickly after. Um, I don't have the follow up stats on that, but for a long time I thought, man, I'm not a great paramedic. I only brought like six people back from the dead and someone's like what are you talking about it's like 0.02 percent chance that someone comes back from the dead exactly were were any of them like oh you should have left me i i was i was in a much better place did anybody say that like nobody complained no i didn't have anyone complain about it no (laughs) no remember zach bush said he brought a few people back on the shift as an md and he said all three of them were like, why did you bring me back? Oh, that's funny. No, I, did, I didn't have that. Yeah. I mean, usually our care is till we get them to the hospital and then we never see people again unless we reach out to them or sometimes they reach out to us on occasion. Right? So oftentimes we don't know what the final outcome is, you know? Yeah. And so it was 20 years in the fire department and then you had a little bit of an injury, right, with your knee? Yeah. Um, so, and then that, that actually started your... And share how you brought the nuts into the fire department and how that that transition began to happen for you because Rich owns a really amazing, uh, successful company called Rich Nuts. And just tell us the humble beginnings of you bringing nuts to the, the men in the fire department. Yeah, that was that's a crazy story too. So basically, I uh, after Inglewood, I went to Malibu and I spent 12, my last 12 years in Malibu. and. As you guys can imagine, there's lots of brush fires in Malibu. You see them on the news all the time and stuff. And I'd be out there on these brush fires. The only problem is I had already started eating healthy and organic. And there's no healthy food on a brush fire because you're in a remote region and there's, there's no stores around or anything like that. And you could be out there working six, eight, ten hours with no food other than what you bring in your, in your, um, in your pack. So I would bring energy bars and I would always love to eat raw cashews. Oh, and sometimes the department would provide MREs, prison sack lunches, or even fast food, which none of those things really work for me. So I would snack on raw cashews. Instead of getting a lot of energy, I would get gassy, bloated, sometimes even constipated, have some brain fog. And that was all what I found out later when I did the research from eating, you know, like a pound of cashews and the lectins inside them. 
So I found out about sprouting and lectins and I started experimenting at home, sprouting nuts and I noticed that my digestive symptoms went away and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. So then I started dehydrating them, which preserved them naturally and brought back the crunch because when they're wet and mushy, it's like not fun. <laughs> they would, like have a little mold and so they probably mold fast they get moldy fast so then you have to put them in the refrigerator now you have this cold mushy thing like i did not want to put that in my mouth you know so <laughs> so the dehydration was key and then i experimented with flavors it was uh yeah like curry and cumin all kinds of things right the first one was sage and rosemary when i was living in topango with johan uh we had sage and rosemary growing right outside the door so i just dried that out ground it up into powder and put it on the nuts with some uh aminos some liquid aminos and it was like wow this is really good so from i would say for the first six or nine months i was just making that sage and rosemary flavor and giving it to all my friends and family you the guys at work uh and next thing i know every time i walk in a room everyone sticks out their hand hey you got any more of those nuts and i would say within yeah nine months i was making like 100 pounds of cashews and just giving them away every month and they're organic so it's like you know 700 bucks a month 800 bucks a month oh, and just giving it away so i said guys you're gonna have to start paying me for this and the the overwhelming response was like okay how much do you want and so that's how richness started i love that and now you're at a much different place with this company so talk and that's been how many years since now now we're in 2022 uh, uh july 2022 and when did you you know, along the way, by the way, you know, Rich has always been really interested in regenerative farming and, and you know, plastics and, and understanding, you know, the, the glyphosate roundup damage. And, mm. and you've just always been on this amazing discovery and finding things that, you know, promote longevity and the foundation training from, from you know, Goodman you brought to me. And then, you know, Rich even brought Wim Hof indirectly into our space and i got to, you got to like, sit experience him in person what 12 years ago or something hey we can go again in january 10 oh, days in poland i'm having a hard time rounding up a crew for that right, one right, right. Okay, <laughs> there's got, only like two well, people that said video, yes i've seen the video of yes theory those guys did a video of it and i'm like uh, it's real it looks like the most agonizing thing ever yeah uh, it's intense so, so tell us just a little bit of like, so you've been at Rich Nuts for how long and where are you at now? What's some big news about the company and just what is Rich Nuts about? Yeah, so. Um, and you were featured in Mark Hyman's newsletter a couple weeks ago. I saw that, his favorite things. Yes, uh, Mark's picks. Delicious and incredibly nutritious. But tell us just about uh, you know, where the when you went from just doing it for the firemen to like, where is it at now? Yep. So when I was first doing it at the fire department and sometimes I would get recalled to work and I'd be there five days and I would actually make them there. It was really funny because I would come into the, to the room where I was making them in the morning and a bunch of the nuts would be missing because the guys would eat them. <laughs> they were like, what do, you, uh, what do you want from us? It was smelled so good in here. Those things would taste amazing. So they were like stealing little snacks in the morning. Um, so that's how it started, you know, and I would make them at the house in Topanga. But when I wanted to see, like, people were like, you need to turn this into a business. This is amazing. And I was kind of like a little bit reluctant and vulnerable because for me, it was the first creative thing I'd ever put into the world. And I had this whole feeling around it like, oh, my gosh, are people going to like it? Are they going to like me? And I got a little bit insecure. And so 
2017, we started the LLC. I pushed through my fears and I would start going out to farmer's markets and I would sample. And it was so great going to farmer's markets because I got all this interactivity with people. I could talk to them about what sprouting is, why it's better for you. And I learned how to talk about what I was doing and why it was so important. And, and once people put the product and ate it, they were like, wow, this is amazing. So the, the, the first part with going to the farmer's market was crucial because basically um, I got to learn how to, to... So first, I knew all my friends loved it and they would pay for it. But like, our stranger's going to do it. Our stranger's going to buy it. Our stranger's going to like me. So I got to, to go through that journey. And what I found overwhelmingly was, yes, people love it and they wanted to buy it. And so from those very humble beginnings in the farmer's market in 2017, we've been growing ever since. And now we're at a place where we're ready to scale up. We just got, uh, got into a national distributor, which is huge for the retail space. So we're super excited about that. Um, a couple of amazing podca podca podcasters and biohackers that I really look up to, like Dr. Hyman and um, Tim Ferriss have recently put us in their newsletter. So those guys are discovering it. And it's like, here's the thing. If you want something that tastes great and is really good for you, that's what Rich Nuts is. And it's in Whole Foods and Erewhon. It's all over the place, right? Uh, we're not in Whole Foods yet, but we are talking with them. Okay. Um, they, you know, they've, Whole Foods has changed, obviously, with the changed ownership. It's not necessarily the Whole Foods we all remember. And so they are, you know, looking at their nut category and they have a lot of, if you go into Whole Foods now and look, you'll see a lot of the 365 brands. So we'll see what happens with Whole Foods. We're, we're working on them, but we are available online, you know, richnuts.com. You can buy anywhere. Amazon also. Um, but yeah, it's this journey has been 10 times harder than being a fireman for me. 10 times harder? Yeah. Why? Because being a firefighter was just like, show up and be me naturally you know, it's like who i already was now i have to like stretch myself and expand who i am and like learn about uh food safety and managing i like when i first started the business i didn't even know what a spreadsheet was let alone how to use one you know yeah. so and now you're on zoom media and investors and like all that which is we have a beautiful partner to help you with that tell us about samantha a little bit samantha i call her divine goddess pele and okay. she is my beautiful redhead goddess and she's amazing so when i first met her she was leading this camp at burning man and i had only experienced like masculine leadership especially like military style in the navy and then with the fire department where it's like do as you're told and no talking back kind of situation top-down management and what i love to say about samantha is she took the bad news bears and went to the the creative olympics which is burning man and won gold because she got actually awards for how amazing the camp was. Yeah. And that was all about her ability to nourish the team. So she got the best out of like what I would consider, and this may be a little judgmental, B players, you know, that weren't like the guys that were in the fire department, which are like, you know, or Navy SEALs type, like super on point people. And she got them to excel. And how did she do that? She did that by nourishing them. And the fire department, I never felt nourished by my supervisors. They would just like, go do this, go do that, you know, point at you and tell you what to do. Yeah. So totally different style of leadership, but that's how you get the best out of the team. So that's why she's the CEO now. I made yeah. her the CEO. 
and you guys are just fully committed to making this uh you know what's your plan for the nut company um well my plan is to become a carbon sink first to become carbon neutral that's our our goal and to have completely compostable packaging and to make sure that we incorporate into our business model all the externalities um which legacy businesses didn't do and now that's why we're kind of facing the climate situation we're in so the huge step forward for me it was like right as um my fire department career was coming to an end the nut business started opening up to me so i um are you familiar with kiss the ground so many people have told me to see is it good is it worth seeing it's a documentary right it's a documentary it's a book it's a movie it's like a whole movement and with kiss the ground i read uh this white paper that they had in their in their program hold on a sec mine stopped recording for some weird reason Uh just now though ask me the the kiss can you clap for me just hit your skin hip your yeah yeah okay uh ask me the kiss the ground thing again okay have you heard about kiss the ground no i haven't it's a documentary right Yes, it's a documentary. It's a movement. It's a, a movie. There's a book. And there's a whole organization around it. And their whole thing is about rebuilding the soil health. Because the soil health, this is all the regenerative agriculture stuff. So I read this white paper. And in the white paper, it said that within five years, we could avert the entire climate crisis without any cuts if the entire world shifted over to a regenerative agriculture system. Because the regenerative agriculture system sequesters three to five times as much carbon per square acre. I'm sorry, I believe that's three to seven times as much carbon per square acre as conventional agriculture. And on top of that, additionally, provides 30% more nutritious food. You wanna be resistant to pandemics, to COVID, to illness? You need to have more nutrition in your food so it's more nutrient dense. So I was like, wow, that's the first like positive news I've heard ever on climate change. In five years, we could sequester enough carbon just by switching our agriculture system. Okay, so our second goal, become regenerative, fully regenerative. So we're working on that. That's not as easy to do because it's not hard. It's hard to find sources that are already regeneratively uh, approved. And, you know, everyone wants to see the metrics on that, like prove to us that you're sequestering more carbon so that's all happening now and that system is is getting in place and we're uh, excited to be a part of that i love that i love that and then eventually like an exit strategy for you or do you want to continue doing this or have you thought about that next kind of chapter um i think at some point we'll probably exit but maybe i'll stay on as a spokesman on the ambassador and keep representing the brand as long as that is moving forward well and you're a natural speed you like you were a toastmaster so like you could be an ambassador easily for this and maybe you you know transition into sort of what zach bush is doing too with farmer's footprint is like you seem you've always been so passionate about nature that it only seems natural that you <laughs> would be a spokesperson in some way for mother earth and for for you know the whole conversation around nurturing this home that we have yeah that feeds us for sure and that's a big part of my entire why so like you know are you familiar with simon sinek and uh it starts with why he wrote a book he has a ted talk so my why is because i believe that the children of this generation like your son right here and future generations they deserve 
a better earth, a cleaner earth and a more just earth. And what's moving the needle are the businesses. That, that's like setting the tone for, for life and for the planet we live on. So um, that's why we have the triple bottom line, you know, people, planet, profit. It all comes from that why. So we want to impact positively impact the people in our business, the people we interact with, the farmers that grow our food, um, which nobody even thinks about, you know. People think food comes from the store, but it actually comes from Mother Nature. Yeah. So like during the pandemic when there was no food on the shelves, I wasn't really worried because I knew all the wild foods that grew around me and I was like, I'll just eat that if there's no more food there at the I'm store. In Puerto Rico, just grab an iguana. That's right. We started eating the iguanas. We're looking into making a coconut mango iguana curry. It's going to be delicious. And we'll be able to survive the next hurricane and everyone else will be starving. Nature is abundant. It's all around us. It's a free food frenzy. All right, so now we are indoors and we finished Johan's pyramid breath up on the roof with Austin strapped uh, to my chest. And you were saying something that it was, you know, with your dad uh, just transitioning and that it was special to be around father-son energy with Austin and I. Like, what, what did you mean by that? Like, it just felt very nourishing to have that, to be kind of like on the inside with the two of you on the walk and this whole morning, you know, we spent the morning together. I was holding him for a while and just like feeling his sweet, curious, like state of wonderment. I don't know how to describe it. It was really beautiful. And to, to feel that energy, especially when I'm in this like portal or this super sensitive space, um, where I feel like I'm in a transition or initiation into a whole new way of being, which, you know, continued evolution. The Tony Robbins thing, right? You taught me that, I believe. Constant and never-ending improvement. Can I? Can I? Yeah. And yeah, that's definitely my yeah. motto. Is it? Yeah. That's that's how, you know, my life, even though the story has been challenging, has always been improving, has always been, like, going to new heights. And, you know, with that, there's also lows. But it's really about what you do with that when it shows up and what you perceive it to be, right? Because so your perspective is key to everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's part of my magic is I look at things that um, in a different way and I say like, look, either I have to go to work today or I get to go to work today. And there's a totally different energy of that. And if it's a have to and you can't change your perspective on it, then maybe you need to find a new career, you know. So now I get to go to work. I get to pursue my dreams with this new business mm -hmm. venture. And um, for the fire department for a long time, it was a, a get to. But towards the end, when my body started breaking down, it was a have to because I felt like it was a burden on my body and I was breaking down and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So mm. now I get to, you know, create this amazing brand from scratch, which has been incredibly challenging and pushing all my edges and yeah. expansion. But I'm learning so much and I'm constantly growing and being challenged. And I love that on some level, even though sometimes it becomes tiring. Yeah, and you speaking of tiring, you get up you get up pretty early, don't you? I want to hear just I want you to share if you could just uh, a few tools that you use daily because you know your <clears throat> morning practice and your there's some things that you do that I think that uh, I want like I you know you've introduced to me obviously the Wim Hof breath and then the the foundation yeah. training and. Mm -hmm. We both do knees over toes. Um, I don't. Knees over toes came to me through another friend, Nick Serrado. Uh, 
but then obviously there's different things that you do like sun gazing. I just want to hear what your typical morning is like and now you're living in Puerto Rico, right? And like why why are you in Puerto Rico? Uh number one reason I'm in Puerto Rico is a tropical island paradise. It's really incredibly beautiful and majestic. It's, it's reminds me a lot of Costa Rica or Hawaii. Um it's less developed, I would say than both of those places, but that just lends to more nature, more beauty. Um There are tax benefits to being there, which is an added bonus, but it's like you get to live in a tropical island paradise, that's the main reason I'm there. You know, we have coconuts growing all over, there's iguana everywhere, there's mangoes. It's it's really quite spectacular. We're near the beach, we're between the El Yunque rainforest and the the beach, so one side is mountain view and the other side is ocean. It's mm. it's pretty spectacular actually. I love that. I hope so to see you there soon. I want to come visit. So you get up at what time? And tell me, tell me your little, tell me your typical uh, routines here before work. Yeah, my morning routine, and this just sets the tone for the day. So I wake up about thirty minutes before the sun comes up, and depending on the time of year and the location I'm in, that varies with the time because that you know the the wobble of the earth um, and the seasons. So in the summertime here, the sun rises very early. We're in Los Angeles, but in in Puerto Rico, it, there's only a 30 minute variation, so that time changes. But 30 minutes before sunrise, I get dressed and I either go for a I used to go for a bike ride when I live here, but now I'm doing a walk with my wife. We go up to this uh elevated spot where we have an excellent view of the horizon. And we basically do the sun gazing practice where we st- stare directly at the sun. and we do qigong while we do it and as we breathe in we inhale all the things we want in our life love gratitude abundance joy success wealth and as we exhale all the things that are no longer serving us frustration anger i'm not good enough um whatever story we make up about ourselves and you can do this for free twice a day everyone can do it and the thing is these are my words that i choose to use but everyone should make it their own and really own that because it's true for you So as I breathe in I bring in the love gratitude abundance joy up my body through my feet from the earth which I stand on barefoot directly on the earth <coughs> I pull that energy and I just visualize it coming up into my heart and then out to the sun all the things I want to you know give up anger fear frustration I'm not enough and I breathe that all out to the sun I mean it can take it it's the largest massive fire in the sky so throwing them into the ceremonial fire and then from the sun I get back love gratitude abundance joy and I just keep doing that in and out and sending sending then as you send down your feet into the earth you're sending fear anger, anger frustration frustration resentment out your into back into the earth yes so you're a conduit and you're almost like cleansing it you're using the grounding yes. and then the light to exactly. cleanse And the conduit is the key. You become the conduit mm-hmm. for those energies you want to see on the planet and you mm-hmm. manifest those frequencies here. That's that's like the intention behind it for me. And just to be clear and safe, uh the eye gazing there's actually a, there's a careful very very specific way to look at the sun directly without hurting your eyes. Can you just share that just for responsibilities? Yeah, yeah. So I would call it sun gazing. Eye gazing is a little different. That's the eye gazing. The person. Or did I just say eye gazing? Yeah, yeah sun gazing. So sun gazing. We're so eye gazing right now. We, We are. It's quite spectacular. <laughs> I'm a little bit uncomfortable. You're so sexy. Uh, the funny thing is with the with the sun gazing. So the first thirty minutes uh, after sunrise, or the last thirty minutes before sunset, is the is the time to do it. And that's because the, the sun is coming through so much atmosphere that it's actually safe to look at. So the recommendation is to start with fifteen seconds. 
staring directly at the sun, doing maybe only one breath round in that time. Um, and then the next day you add 15 seconds. So every time you do it consecutively, you add 15 seconds. I'm doing about, you know, between 10 and 15 minutes now. I could be doing longer, but just for ease of schedule and flow, like you'd be up to a half hour, um, you know, that whole first half hour, but usually 10 or 15 minutes feels really good for me. But the key is to introduce, you know, 15 seconds at a time and not push it too far. And if your eyes ever like start to hurt or it feels like it's too bright and you have to blink, then it's time to stop. Okay. So really listen to your intuition on that. And what's the main, so you do it to set your circadian rhythm Yes. Clock internally. Yeah. So then you're you barely use an alarm, right? You wake you go to you're tired then by nine thirty, ten at night you're in bed. Yeah. I'm usually getting in bed between nine and nine thirty and then asleep by ten. Like sometimes I read before I go to bed or something. Like a paper book? A paper book, yeah. yeah. Actual book. Yeah. Uh so that's the first thing we do with the walk with uh-huh. the sun gazing. Uh-huh. Oftentimes I'll do the haka afterward, which is the Maori warrior dance that we learned for my wedding. That's wild. I, sh- I wish I could find, I wonder if I could find a little video clip of that to throw in this. We have the video. Yeah. I'll, see if, I can, I'll see if I can throw it up on my social media to like, uh, to, to support this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We have video of that. So I'd send me I, a little clip of that. I do the haka. Um, and then. Gambate, gambate, yeah. Gora, gora. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is a very masculine warrior practice, which feels good to me because I'm definitely a warrior. Um, And so then we complete our walk. I do some basically agoscue uh, exercises, corrective exercises, which were similar to what we were doing today with knees over toes. Mm -hmm. And that's about like... How did we learn about agoscue? Because I... Uh, Tony Robbins. Tony probably. Robbins, yeah, I think, yeah. Because yeah. that's, I went to their clinic here and we have, you know, Kate and I have our courses that we teach. Yeah. And for a lot of people who have ankle problems or knee problems or shoulder, I say just go, you can even just Google Agoscu, Pete Agoscu knees or yeah. Pete Agoscu shoulders. And there will be a thing that if you did it every day consistently, yeah. in a month, you would probably solve that problem. It's amazing, yeah. He's a legend. Yeah, and so that's about a 20-minute routine, and usually um, Samantha is out with me on the patio, and we're uh, she's doing eye exercises while we listen to a book. We've been listening to, uh, uh, was it Neville uh, Goddard? Uh-huh. Yeah, we've been listening to Neville Goddard while we do that. We're in the same space. And then we do our breath work and meditation, which is like another 45 minutes, so pyramid breath, kriya, and then like mantras okay so it's like a two-hour deal it's three when you clock well, okay no wonder you're gonna get up at a half hour before so yeah so if i and then i take a cold shower uh-huh oh well actually it was a cold shower now i'm doing ice baths i got my system set up so you do i jump How in the long? ice bath minute I, I started the same thing 15 seconds and now i'm up to a minute 45 40 degree water so it's it's real do you have to break the ice no, actually, there's a way you can regulate it okay. and set the temperature. Is there a brand that you use? Um, I can share it with you. I think it's called Inkbird. Okay. I found it on Amazon. It just basically oh, regulates. Really? Yeah, it's really easy. It's like 35 bucks. You put it in a, in a freezer chest, and then you can turn that into an ice bath. It's pretty amazing. So the, my favorite part of the morning routine is the bulletproof coffee at the end. So I start all these things, and my least favorite part is the ice bath. Like, even though I know it's good for me and I've been doing it. It's, it's so hard. It's not, like, right before you get in, you're like, you have to pump yourself up. I have to pump myself up. I can't speak for other people, but it's the hardest thing and my least favorite. So from James Clear's book, Habit Stacking, I learned, like, you, you set it all up so that your number one favorite thing, which is that creamy, delicious, bulletproof coffee, comes after you do your hardest thing. Mm. So you stack your habits in a way that... 
once you do the ice bath, then you get your good things. So you build that reward system into it, mm, which is super powerful. I love that. Atomic Habits. Did you read that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we've shared that with our with our amazing community as well. Yeah. And so so then do you fast the re- till like a few hours after your creamy coffee or do you have breakfast? Yeah, no, I usually fast for a bit. Um, we'll do that. We do the coffee. Samantha and I have Coffee Clatch, which is like our morning briefing or what we used to call it, the fire department lineup where we just kind of, hey, this is what I'm doing today. I need your support in this. Can you help me with that? Mm. It's kind of <clears> our little check-in moment. Yeah. Because um, we started doing the walk actually silent until after the sun gazing. Which is hard for you because you're, you're chatty. And <laughs> I'm you're a chatty. Also like, look at the birds. You're waving your hands. You're pounding your chest yeah. like monkey. <laughs> like I can imagine <laughs> on all the hikes we've done together. Right? There's no talking, but there are sometimes sign language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, and so then actually after the sun gazing and we start walking again, we do three gratitudes each. Okay. So that's our, yeah. our gratitude. So that's our morning routine, and it takes about three and a half hours. But by nine o'clock, I hit the ground. The tone is set for the day. I'm like in peak, you know, mm. state, right? And now the business that we're building comes from that, you know, which is all intention, which is all self care, which is yeah. all nourishment. And you, yeah, and you guys work together at on home at home. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we work on different sides of the house, but yeah, we work in the same space. Like she likes to be out on the patio in the front, and I'm on the backside in my office. And okay. I'm creating content and starting to do podcasts and like really mm-hmm. starting to be the brand ambassador. Yeah, so. what you're good at, what you're really good at. Thank you. I'm excited for this. Now, Samantha, I was in the kitchen with her, um, and she shared something about about Gay Hendricks uh, creating the love you want. There's a mirroring exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just feel that'd be really helpful in relationships. So Gay Hendricks wrote a book that I shared with everybody that in our in our school. Uh, called the big leap, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it talks about upper limit problems. Yes, and, uh, self-limiting how, beliefs. Yeah, and sabotage, people sabotage of how good they're willing to have it, have it, they get to a certain point, and then they blow their life up. Yeah. And Gay Hendricks has a really cool mechanism to, for the big leap. But he has another book that is incredible for couples uh, called Getting the Love You Want. Now, can you just share in your relationship with Samantha how that mirroring exercise has been beneficial or could you even explain what that is for people yeah so it's been super transformative we actually went to big sura and took a course um imago therapy it's called that's based on the book and the course was a big sura it was great we actually uh had an amazing time and we were like the first couple to share we went up in front of the whole group and they had us practice the mirroring technique which is basically where you repeat exactly what the person says to you so they're like you know, they, they want to express something to you and say, hey, can we do the mirroring? And whoever's more resourced when we get into like a little bit of a More resourced. Let's go on the floor. That chair is just squeaking like a donkey. Okay. We'll just slide this down. And we'll just put this closer to your mouth, even a little bit if we can. Come a little closer. Okay. Yeah. There we go. I'll come down with you. Yeah, that, that chair is just squeaking too much. Sorry. No, it's not you. It's me. It's not you. It's me. That's what I'm hearing is <laughs> the, the chair is squeaking. Do you yeah. want something to sit on? No, I'm, I'm totally fine. Uh, I'll are you stretch. sure? You stretch. You do the splits. So Rich is doing the splits. I'm sitting on a little tiny like air pocket thing. Okay. So the mirroring exercise, and this is really powerful for couples. The way that Samantha explained it to me was just uh, profound. And can you share it? Yeah, so basically one person will start and they'll say like a short, maybe four word, five word sentence, something nice and tight and easy for the other person to repeat back. So you just basically 
when you um, went out with your friends last week, and then the other person will repeat, when you went out with your when I went out, and you changed the pronouns. Yeah. So when I went out with my friends last week, I was upset because you didn't tell me. And you 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 respond back. I, you were upset because I didn't tell you. And so what it does, and, and sometimes you'll get into some really heavy material where you're like, wait a minute, that's not what I meant, or that's not my intention. And your, your mind pops up and you want to respond, but you don't respond, you let them be heard. And in the slowing down and the listening, you really like start to hear what they're saying and then they feel fully received and fully heard. And you're not like putting your protests up or arguing back or like creating a story or getting defensive because you have to be present to listen to them and to reflect that back. So even though sometimes internally, like you'd be like, well, that's not how I want it or that's not my intention or that's whatever story or excuse you're creating inside. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you don't express that and you just let them feel fully, fully heard. And it's really powerful. Uh, we've been doing it. And for me as a man, it really helps me to see my blind spots and to see them in a way from someone that I know loves me and that only wants the best for me and like wants me to grow and change and be the best version of me possible. So I can really hear it from her, especially in this way where it's not like, hey, you did this and it's not mm. accusational. It's not like yeah. that kind of thing. I like that. It's almost like another level, another maybe tool in the conscious communication of like a part of me feels or the story I'm making up or, you know, from my perspective, this is almost like something you can actually do that's that's it's an it's a it's an action that you're you're like and you forced to be in their shoes because you're saying you're changing the pronoun and interesting yeah i need to read that book and i actually would love to take his teacher's training because gay Hendricks. amazing i honestly think he's so unknown and un, under i want to have him on my podcast just yeah. because like I, people more people need to know about this dude man yeah that big leap like the the, the technique of even even the language around you have a thermostat of how good you're willing to have it. Yeah. And once you reach that, you blow that up yeah. with your limiting beliefs. And even putting words like that together, some people will break free because they're like, I do that. I sabotage my life when things are good. Yeah. You don't think that you deserve better. And that's a construct that you've, you know, you, you live with. And yeah. it's oftentimes running subconsciously, but it creates your reality. And until you change that, you're going to have the same reality. That's right. That's right. So I really love that. And so when you, when you're looking at the sun and you're gazing, so you do it in the morning, do you do that in the evening too? You can also do it in the evening. I don't always, but sometimes, okay. um, we usually go for another walk after dinner and we will do it then. Really? Yeah. That, that, like half, uh, how long is a walk? Like half hour? Uh, I mean, yeah, 30 minutes to an hour. It depends on how we're feeling and what time we're walking. We like to yeah. do it right at sunset. There's a bunch of, uh, pelicans that live in the, in the estuary next to us so they always go out and feed in the evening in the morning they're just like dive bombing into the mm -hmm. water and cool. they look like darts as they mm -hmm. so that's really fun um and we watch the sunset on the other side so like one side you know sunrise oh, and the other side sunset that's oh, beautiful and so when you're when you would say when you would speak with your dad um and you know you and i were on the roof and we watched the the sun go behind the Santa Monica mountains there and we're like oh we'll see you tomorrow sun like the, the sun's going down we'll see the sun tomorrow and then you were sharing with me that no matter how your conversation went with your dad yeah even if there was a little bit of contention or a fight even a fight he would still say I loved you and then what would he say 
Yeah, he would always say, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, son. Yeah. I love you, you know. And he said that to everyone. See you tomorrow. Really? Even though he wasn't going to see you tomorrow or he wasn't Did planning to. It would throw people off. They'd be like, what? You'll see you tomorrow? <laughs> you know, like, they Are you coming over again? <laughs> no. But mm-hmm. he, it was just his way of saying goodbye. He would say, see you tomorrow. And um, it was really it was really touching when you said, see you tomorrow, son. And you were talking to the, the son. actual son. son yeah. And my dad used to say that to me. So that was mm. a really special moment. For sure. I love that. What's the biggest thing you learned from your dad? Uh, the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing I learned from my relationship with my father is that um, you get to choose your life. You get to be anything you want to be, and you can choose to be anything you want to be. And he really imparted that on me, and I believed it. And that's why I, you know, haven't been a victim of my circumstances, and I've continued to grow and expand, and ch- make the choices that create the life I want and Mm so I've just been you know leaning into that Mm. ever since as long as I can remember you know and nothing has ever been hard or given to me but it's been such a joy and pleasure to live this life I feel like it was a charmed life other people look at it and go wow that was a really hard life I'm like not for me it was just Mm. amazing on all levels so wow 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 yeah you're inside of your life even though someone looking at it from the outside, they look like that might be hard, but you're inside it, pulling from it like the gold. And that's such a powerful thing to remember. I mean, we can, we, it's easy for us to complain when things are a little off, but it seems like adversity has really made you who you are too. And we were talking just before we recorded too, is like somebody who has the perfect childhood has their own struggles which is like to develop grit and to develop gratitude and to to develop these tools that you actually get when you're coming from a challenging challenging, um, sort of situation so Johan said something last night who was our friend and mutual friend he's a brother Uh, you know the three of us are definitely brother brothers he was sharing that you know, some some of the mystics believe that this life is the dream. Mm. And when we pass away or transition on, we wake up. Yeah. And when you're born, you enter the dream. So it's like, I love that perspective. And then there's certain traditions around the world that spend their life preparing for the transition at the end in a way that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Not a way, and, and I feel like this culture, the Western cultures, are trying to do everything to avoid it. Yeah. To avoid you know that's why there's so much fear around it and that's why there's fear and if anything that you know you know from you've handled this with your dad this is very fresh it's only been a few days yeah and i feel honored to be in this space with you and you know i have also lost my dad and even though it's nine years ago it feels like nine days sometimes Mm. like it's it's sort of you're this is gonna be with you forever yeah that your dad is you can't hear his voice yeah. on the phone anymore yeah. like you could. But you'll you'll hear his voice in little things that like you say. Yeah. <laughs> to Samantha, you'll be like, oh my gosh, that's what my dad would say. Yeah. Uh, some good, some bad. <laughs> and I save all my mom's voicemails. Like I have a Dropbox folder of probably 50 of my mom's voicemails for someday when my mom's not around, I can kind of go back and just back here. Oh, uh, that's sweet. There's a little trick on your iPhone that you can just send the voicemail directly to your Dropbox, which is, if you have any on there, if your dad, I'll show you how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the thing too, is it's so amazing how the universe works. So like last night we were here and I was feeling a little 
right around sunset a little bit alone in the world because um, my my grandmother my mother my birth mother had passed a long time ago and my grandmother died five years ago and she was essentially my mother figure in life and then now that my father passed and I don't have any children I felt I was feeling really alone in the world in a way even though I ha I know intellectually I have a beautiful community I have an amazing wife and I have these really deep and powerful relationships I was still feeling from uh, part of me was feeling alone and then everyone started showing up for the little gathering we had yesterday and I was just surrounded by this love cuddle puddle of yeah. amazing friends and so it's like as soon as you start feeling that the universe responded with you're not alone here's all these amazing people that love you that see you and and the way I'm loved by our community, by you, by Johan, by Paul, by everyone that was there last night mm -hmm. is so deep and profound and powerful and I really yeah. feel it, you know? Whereas my father's love was always unconditional, but it came with a lot of like, a lot of baggage and a lot of like trauma that he had inflicted and, mm -hmm. you know, chose not to deal with or, or the patterns he kept repeating. So it was like t a tainted love, even though it was unconditional. Mm. And then to have the like pure love that I get from my community and from my group and from my wife, it's just a totally different experience, but um, super powerful and very nourishing. Mm. Yeah. Well, I love you, brother. And I thank you for sharing that, uh, this, this special time um, with Kate and Austin and, and for you know your being here in, in our home, um, if people wanted to connect with you and like follow your journey, because you know you're also a storyteller, like you're 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 telling a bit of the the, the hunter gatherer story because you're a hunter. We didn't get much into that, but you've you know one thing about Rich that I really love and respect, and I'd love you to actually share how you bless a meal, uh, oh, yeah. which is really special to me. Uh, is your connection you know some people have a look at a hunter as a violent person but when you think about how people get their meats from the the grocery store it's so disconnected that they're just don't want to look at all the other stuff whereas i've actually find what you do very brave like you will hunt with a bow and arrow and then you will carry that animal miles and miles and hurt yourself and yeah skin it and eat the heart out in the woods and like you're a, you're a bit you're a total nutter um <laughs> like you're doing it for real where i feel like the the steroid king or the liver king guy is doing it for show like you actually do this stuff mm. um and the steroid. <laughs> every time i look at him i'm just like oh man i have his supplements this ancestral supplements i hope they're i hope you didn't put steroids in them uh but I, you know, Rich hunts, uh, you know, and, and now he's, he brought iguana with him from Puerto Rico. It's in my fridge right now uh, because they're overrunning the island of Puerto Rico and you, they're, they're free. You're, you know, there's a hundred, you, you've had to there's, get, It's a nuisance. Yeah. It's a nuisance. And yeah. it's like decimating the bird the, population and the, and the plants, right? And the plants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they have no natural predators. It's not their natural environment. So, right. Yeah. But, you know, you always, I can always count on you to have elk, to have, like, wild boar, to have, yeah. you know, and and that connection to the land. And then whenever we sit down to have food together, I'd love for you to share just how you bless the the food. Could you do that for us? Could you share yeah, your blessing? I definitely can. Love and gratitude for this delicious meal we're about to receive. We're so grateful for all the plants and animals on our plate. 
we're thankful for their life force. We're thankful for everything that it took to get here. The millions of years of evolution, the fossil fuels even, the people power, the water, the mineral, the sunshine, all the billions in, of microbes and nutrients in the earth. May it bless our mind, our body, and our soul. Aho. Mm. Yeah, I just love that. You can, like, bless the fossil fuels, the trucks that are driving. <laughs> like, I just well, love... yeah. I just love... And, you know, we're, we're like, oh, I can't stand the, the fossil fuel companies. But then you're like, well, they brought you your vegetables, too. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, like, finding gratitude for the whole picture. If you want to make a change, you have to first acknowledge it. If you, mm. if you don't even want to acknowledge it, how are you going to ever change it? And that, that's the thing about the hunting part, right? It's like... People go to the store and they buy meat in a package and they don't even think about the animal or that it was an animal or there was a life attached to it. When I go and I hunt and I kill with intention, I, I see that life. I take that life with choice and it's, it's empowering, it's powerful as opposed to these animals that, you know, eat the wrong food, live in horrible conditions their whole life. It's, it's, and then they're wrapped in petroleum and that all those BPAs, all those things from that plastic is yeah. sitting on there for weeks and then it goes into our bodies. Yeah. And then we're wondering why cancer is like, you know, through the roof. I mean, yeah. all the plastics, the, the animals are eating the wrong food. So they have all these issues. But when you hunt an elk, it's a wild animal that lived its natural, clean, pure life. And then, you know, hopefully it happens really quick. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's the ideal and usually it is pretty quick and that's so much better than living your life in a feed lot covered in poop you know eating the wrong food yeah it's all about perspective right we see somebody who shows this animal that they killed and we're like how barbaric of them yeah especially if they show it on social media like everyone's outraged but then when you really think about it and that i've been one when if, if i see somebody with like you know, a big animal on their truck, I kind of cringe a little bit. But then when you think about it closely, yeah, that's that animal lived its whole life in nature mm-hmm. and then split seconds of possibly maybe some pain at the very end. Yeah. Whereas those other ones, think about the emotional trauma, the stress and like the the sickness and the mm-hmm. and just the mental like these are anguish, anguish and yeah. the stress, and then we're eating all that stress. So yeah. It's everything is about having the openness to look at things from a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. People go, oh, you're a killer. And I'm like, well, you know what? Do you feel bad about that? And I'm like, does a lion feel bad about eating? I mean, and plants, by the way, are alive too. So you've got to eat something, otherwise you don't live. So... You know, and plants, you know, they have scientific uh, experience where they prove that they feel things. And they, yeah, you know. and plants grow in blood bone and they blow in, they, plants are growing in animal products, like to grow, like they need, what's in the earth is minerals from animals. Yeah, <laughs> so. and it's a cycle, right? And the animals eat them, they poop it out and that brings, it builds up the nutrition mm-hmm. in the land. So like yeah. with the elk, with doing it with intention, and, and I did eat a big chunk of the first elk that I killed I, I ate like a big piece of the heart and I always bring back the heart and the organs and we use that too because that's where all the nutrients are and your wife's an amazing chef she knows how to make everything delicious <laughs> yeah and we had a we had a bear actually uh, get to an elk before we did one of the guys in my hunting party one year and it, the first thing it ate were all the organs mm. So it cleaned out the, it actually saved us because the elk wandered off miles and we had to go get permission to go on this private land to track it. 
And by the time we got back, a bear had eaten about three quarters or half of the elk. <laughs> and you could still salvage some of the meat, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. We drug it out of there. Not, I was, you're not worried about bacteria from the bear's mouth or any of that? No, we took it to the to the meat processor, okay, and we it. wanted to have him check it out. And he said if, if, He's the, like, oh, pretty good. if the bear hadn't eaten the organs and the guts, then the, it would have spoiled. But luckily it did. That was the first thing he ate, the heart, the liver, all the organs, Interesting. all the entrails. That's well, where the nutrition is. That's right. Wow. Well, I want to wrap this up and I uh, just want people to be able to follow you. So it's Rich Nuts or Rich's Nuts? Um, on Instagram, we're rich.nuts. Rich.nuts. Our website is richnuts.com. 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 And if you want to follow me personally, it's rich underscore PW. PW. For right. Peace Warrior. Peace. Oh, yeah. And that's where I'm starting to tell more about my story and about my practices and, mm. and share a lot of the wisdom that I have. You have a lot, brother, and I feel like you're just beginning to, in some ways, you know, and all these beautiful practices that, you know, ARP wave, you know, where I go to see JR and the people that follow me, I've filmed myself there many times. There's so many of these, and you use that regularly, and your wife, too. You brought that into my life, I think, yeah, for that. That healed my knee. Right. There's just all these beautiful things that that's what I like to share in some of these conversations with my friends and also people I look up to, and I told you I'm having Zach Bush on next month. I like to gain these perspectives because he's plant-based, right? Yeah. And, I, and like, you know, your friend was over here, Jose, and he's like, only eats meat and fruit. And it's like, yeah. what's the right way? There isn't. Yeah. I feel the right way is be present yeah. and be grateful and in the moment of what you're doing and have actually some be present enough to be connected to what you're doing mm. in this way. Do it with intention. Yeah. 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 And then feel. Does this feel good? Does this make me feel more energetic and if not then don't eat it yeah <laughs> or don't do it exactly but so um i love you brother and uh, just bless your father mm. on his journey and this this greatest journey um perhaps waking up from this dream like and, and you know you are not alone you have you know we have the wisdom of your father and my mm. father and you know we have my son to teach us backwards which mm -hmm. i find i learned uh, so much from my son and we have each other there's father energy that from me to you there's father energy coming from johan to you and mm. and every and everywhere you look so you are you are surrounded with love and and i i really feel like people will be inspired of this it's such a graceful you've handled this with grace and ease but also with like I've seen you processing on the roof. You're doing dancing. You're moving. You're, you're, you're really honoring this moment of your father's yeah. um, transition. So um, I, I love you, brother. Thank you. It feels really powerful for me. I'm definitely in a transition portal. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's a very opportune time. It's challenging, but yeah. Yeah. And thanks for being willing to share during this vulnerable time. So. Uh, thank you for having me. You got it, buddy. All right. All right. Thanks, Rich. Bye-bye. Ask me about my nuts. <laughs> That's what his t-shirt said this morning. All right. See you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, a very unique kind of situation, but please uh, share this if you liked it. Like and review and subscribe and all that fun stuff if you could. It makes a big difference. And please check out my sponsors uh, in the show notes. Um, and if you use some of those links, please put in my code. It, it actually helps pay for things and 
help support this podcast and other endeavors. And um, and I only use and share with you companies that I love. So um, I hope you uh, get a good kick out of them and some good quality use of some of these companies. They're amazing. And please, if you're while you're here, check out some of my other podcasts. Um, I hope you enjoy listening to them and I will catch you on the next one. Until I see you, please be kind and gentle and tender and loving towards yourself and your thoughts on purpose. And please enjoy yourself. Blinded by desire Just like old times I walk the line